Good morning, everybody. Get your Bibles out. Open them up with me to Revelation chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today, Revelation chapter 6. While you're turning there, uh, most of you know that about 15 years ago, we moved back here. Uh, We were in Oklahoma for a period of time. And up there, as I mentioned before, tornadoes is like a real thing. It's not just like an idea. It's like daily life. In fact, uh, the, the sirens go off there every day at noon or every Saturday at noon. And, uh, and it's just a reminder to make sure they're all working so that when it happens, uh, everything's good to go. But that just kind of gets in your psyche, right? You're always kind of thinking about the next storm and if it's going to happen. And you're always used to hearing these sirens going off on Saturdays. And... Um, so whenever a storm would come, I mean, I, multiple times, I remember getting our girls together and we'd get down in the Frady hole, as they call it, and, uh, and you'd hunker down, right? And you're, you're just waiting for the storm to pass and hoping everything's okay. Well, so we moved here 15 years ago, and I remember we got in our house, everything was good, girls were asleep one night, and I was awakened to a siren, a tornado siren. So I mean, just think about where we've been Man, I jumped out of bed, uh, ran up the stairs, grabbed the girls, you know, brought them down. They're still kind of half awake. We get up underneath the stairs. We got our bottles of water. We got our weather uh, radio. We've got our flashlight. We've got our bike helmets. We got, I mean, we're ready to do this thing. And I mean, we're hunkered down in there and the storm is coming. The siren is going off. And I call a friend of mine uh, that lives about a mile away. And it's like one in the morning. And I'm like, it rings and he, he picks up. And I go, hey. Are you, guys in the, are you guys in the shelter? He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, the siren. Didn't you hear the siren? Tornado siren. He, long pause. Then he started to chuckle and he goes, man, man, you're in Texas. We don't listen to those things around here. <laughs> man, go back to bed. I'm like, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I, I remember, I mean, I've, I've thought about that a lot. And, you know, it's funny how people respond to sirens, right? Or alarms, right? Some people, they're out of here, man. The minute they uh, fire them, they're the first one out. And then there are others that are like, well, is anybody else moving? Do I smell smoke? Is this, you know, they're kind of checking things out. Then others are like, eh, whatever, you know, they're just waiting for the thing to move back in and, you know, get back started doing what they were doing. They're just ignoring it. Revelation chapter six is a siren. It is an alarm. It is a wake-up call uh, that judgment is coming, that a storm is coming. Now, Uh, You understand that the Bible teaches that God is going to judge the world. Uh, Welcome to First Colleyville, okay? You know, (laughs) God's going to judge the world. And uh, God's not going to just turn a blind eye to the wickedness that's happening, the pervasive uh, rebellion against him, that there's going to come a time when God's going to say enough, and he's going to come down, and he's going to rescue those who belong to him, and he's going to judge those who do not, and that day is coming, that storm is coming. And Revelation chapter 6 really is the beginning of that process of God judging the world, Revelation chapter 6. Now, before we dive into the, the detail of it, uh, let me just remind you that the book of Revelation is a letter. And it was sent to seven churches. We were introduced to those churches in chapter 2 and 3. There's a little uh, 
individual comment to Jesus, to every one of these churches, but the whole uh, letter of Revelation, the whole Revelation was read to these churches. And you remember many of these churches were struggling, they were suffering, they were enduring hardship, they had all kinds of issues they were dealing with. And so this letter, if you just kind of pan back, the big picture of the book of Revelation is that uh, the believers are to endure hardship uh, knowing that God is coming and his reward is with him, right? That's the big picture. Now, what it meant for them, those who heard it the first time, it must also mean for us. In other words, that's a really important interpretive principle. We don't like take this out and then start messing around with it to come up with, uh, with unique meanings that they would not have, uh, have at least at some point uh, been able to understand. What it meant for them, it means for us. So what that means is the book of Revelation is really an encouragement for us to stand firm, to endure hardship, and to keep our eyes on the sky, longing for the Lord's return, that his reward is with him. And so with that in mind, let's open up to Revelation chapter 6. And we're going to just dive into it now. Revelation 6, beginning at verse 1. And this is the word of God. Then I saw the Lamb open one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and there was a white horse, and its rider held a bow, a crown was given to him, and he went out as a conqueror in order to conquer. Then he opened the second seal, and I heard a second living creature say, Come. Then another horse went out, a fiery red one, and its rider was allowed to take peace from the earth. And so the people were, would slaughter one another, and a large sword was given him. And when he opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there was a black horse, and its rider held a set of scales in his hand. And then I heard something like a voice among the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat uh, for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not harm the oil and the wine. Then he opened the fourth seal, and I heard a voice of the four living creatures say, Come. And I looked, and there was a pale green horse, and its rider was named Death, and Hades was following after him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, by famine, by plague, and by the wild animals of, of the earth. Now stop right there for just a minute. You remember in chapter 5, uh, Jesus has walked into the throne room of heaven, and he has taken from the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll. And this scroll, I said, was a title deed to the earth. This is God's plan for how he's going to redeem his people and judge those who are his enemies. Now, this scroll was sealed with seven wax seals. You have to break the seals to open up the scroll and reveal what's going to happen. Back in the 80s and 90s, and maybe even still today, when nuclear codes are activated, uh, a military personnel would have to take this plastic envelope and break the seal. And then it would reveal the, the launch codes that would be, be dispatched out to various platforms to launch uh, a military nuclear attack. 
In the similar way, Jesus is breaking these seals that will soon reveal God's ultimate plan of judgment in the scroll. You got that? So now as he's breaking each of the seals, John is seeing these things being lived out. And he's, uh, these motion, these visions that he's seeing are in the form, at least the first four, on the form of horsemen that are going out uh, to do uh, that judgment uh, this is where we get the phrase of four horsemen of the apocalypse. If you've ever heard that term, uh, this is where it is. Just keep in mind, this is not the end. This is the beginning of the end. This is not the main show. This is the, the prelims for the show. This is not the, the main event. This is the undercard for the event. They're preparing for the ultimate judgment of God. So let's look at these uh, four horsemen. Uh, first one is the white horse, verse 2. Uh, the rider has a crown. Uh, he has a bow, and he goes out to conquer. Uh, typically, when you see someone in a white horse, that's a good person or a bad person? That's uh, a good person, right? If you've lived a couple of years, uh, then you remember the Lone Ranger, right? He, he rode out on a white horse. If you're a little younger generation, Gandalf uh, rides out on a white horse, right? And so white horse is usually a good guy, right? Uh, in fact, in fact, in, in, in Revelation 19, Jesus himself rides out on a white horse, and he has a crown, and he's conquering. So this person is, he looks like Jesus, but he's not Jesus, right? He, he has like an image that's kind of like Christ, but he's not Christ. And so this person represents a false imitation, false Christ, false teachers, false messiahs. Uh, you could write the word antichrist on there. We're going to learn more about him uh, next week. We're going to talk about the antichrist next week. I'm sure you're going to want to invite all your family and friends uh, for that one, all right? Antichrist is next week, all right? Um, but check out uh, 1 John 1, 8. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the antichrist is coming... Even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. There have always been, since the beginning of the gospel, there have always been false gospels, false teachers, false messiahs that would lead people astray. And this is what this represents. Even today, you just get on TikTok or online and you can find a myriad of false teachers having false claims about a false Christ that lead many, many, many people astray. So that's the, that's the white horse a false teachers, false messiah. Red horse, verse four, this horse is like red, like lava, like fire, right? In fact, he is given a sword. This horse represents war and violence, war and violence. Notice he takes peace from the earth. Uh, this writer is the author of conflict. He is the father of rage. He is a source of strife. He is the instigator of hate. Anytime you see uh, a violence or murder, a rape, assault, hatred, animosity, rage, a fury uh, in the streets, when you see this kind of thing happening, uh, these things are a result of the red horse. Notice he comes in verse 4, so that people would slaughter one another. As I was thinking about these uh, this week, uh, they, the reports had just come out that in Ukraine they had found several multiple mass graves with over 400 people in those graves. Women, children, civilian, soldiers. Every week we hear of another 
mass shooting. And you go, well, why is this happening? Uh, we'll look at it. It's the red horse. The third one is uh, a black horse, verse 5. And this one comes out with scales in his hands, not like the scale of justice, but more like the scale in the marketplace. And he comes out and he heard a voice saying, uh, a denarius for uh, a barley of wheat or a denarius for three, uh, three uh, uh, elements of barley. Uh, uh, here, what is he talking about here? He's talking about lack. He's talking about uh, economic fam, uh, distress or famine or desperation or want. You remember a... Uh, remember, uh, couple months ago with the baby formula shortage, right? And everybody was scammering around because there was not enough baby formula and, and people were panicking about that. Now take that times a thousand, all right? And then make that global. And that's exactly what you have here. Every, um, every person is in want. Every person is in need. There is a desperation at a global scale. That's the black horse. And then you have the pale green horse. A pale green. That's a gross color. Nobody likes pale green, right? Pale green. <laughs> you know, I, I was at a party with some friends the other day. We were playing these card games. And after a card game, if you lost, you had to eat a jelly bean, right? Now, these weren't the cool jelly beans. These were like the gross jelly beans, right? In fact, they had, they had like one color, but it could be cherry or it could be vomit, all right? It was one of the two. And, it, and so you, gotta, you don't, don't know when you're putting in your mouth which one it's going to be. But we stayed away from the pale green jelly beans because no telling what horrors await you if you eat one of those things, right? This is the pale green horse, and um, it represents death, illness, violence everywhere. And notice it says Hades, uh, the place of the dead, just comes along behind, just swallowing up the dead bodies. What a graphic picture. We saw some of this during the global pandemic when every night there would be death tolls. Every night there would be another number of people who had died by the thousands. In the early, or in the 1300s, the Black Plague ripped through most of Europe and North Africa. It claimed over 200 million lives. If you can imagine, just a death toll was catastrophic. Uh, the, the smell of death, the stench of death was so great that people would carry uh, flowers with them to just try to sniff them to kind of pierce and cut through the stench of death. And hence we have the the nursery rhyme, ring around the rosy, meaning rosary, a pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. That's what he's talking about here with this horse. It's global death, desperation. Then you have a fifth seal, the persecution of the saints in verse 6 through 9, where you see Christians that are martyred for their faith for the sake of Jesus Christ. And then the sixth seal are natural disasters, earthquakes, cosmic disasters, darkness. Now you may say, well, when is all this going to happen? How is all this going to happen? How does this relate to the coming of Christ? 
Well, I want you to keep your finger right here in Revelation 6 and flip over to Matthew 24, all right? Just flip over Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about his return. He's talking about the end of time. And he kind of lays out in a very quick fashion uh, what that will be like. His disciples said, tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And this is what Jesus says, Matthew 24, beginning of verse 4. Jesus replied to them, watch out, then no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. And you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed because these things must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famine and earthquake in various places. And all these events are the beginnings of labor pains. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted and they will kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. And many will fall away because betray one and the other and, and hate one another and many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because of lawlessness will multiply the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved now I want you to notice if you put that up against what we just read in Revelation 6 it almost matches perfectly Jesus said you're going to have um, false Christ and you're going to have war and violence. You're going to have economic need and famine. And you're going to have natural disasters and earthquakes. And Jesus called all of these things labor pains. You ever been around a woman that's in labor? All right. Guys, you, know, you want to stay at a distance, all right? And they may come swinging at you, all right? Because these labor pains are just contractions. They're, they're come on hard, and then they back off. And then they come on harder, and you know you're getting close to the birth when it gets more intense and more intense and more frequent and more severe. I remember watching when our girls were born, you could just see that graph going up, these labor pains. And as you got closer and closer, you knew the time was come for the birth of the child. You said, that's what it's going to be in the last days. Yeah, we've had these. We've had these four horsemen. They've been galloping throughout history. They're still running rampant today. We're seeing it today. But as his time comes for him to come to the earth and judge the earth, you're going to see it in more and more frequent, more and more severe more and more intense as his coming uh, draws closer. And so how will people respond when these things start happening? How are people going to respond when, when these horsemen uh, are galloping through and you see more and more of this happening? What will be the response of those who do not know Christ? And that's where we go to, to back to Revelation 6. Uh, look at verse 15. Revelation 6, 15, then the kings of the earth and the nobles, the generals, the rich, the powerful, uh, every slave and free person hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb because the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Who is able to stand? Once you notice, these are, uh, this is a response of the people who do not know God. They're not going to run to God. They're running away from God. They're not repenting, right? Uh, they're retreating. And who are these people that are retreating? 
Uh, well, notice uh, it's the kings and the nobles. Uh, these are the people of, in government, all right? These are the government leaders. Are they going to help you when these days come? Uh, not exactly. I remember being in a uh, Uber in Chicago, and I was getting a ride back to the airport, and the Uber driver was telling us about how what we need, you know, it's crazy out there, what we need is more and more government, bigger and bigger government. I don't know where you are politically, but what he was saying is, we did, the government's going to save us, and they're going to take care of all of us. Everything would be great if the government was just in charge of everything. Uh, is that going to be the case? I'm reading here, uh, kings and nobles are going to like run for the hills. They're not going to help us. They're not going to help you. If your hope is in Washington to solve these problems, you're going you're to have a failed hope. No matter who's in the White House. Look at it, rich, rich and poor. I mean, rich and powerful. Uh, is Elon Musk going to help us out? Uh, Bezos is going to help us out. We just need a, a good billionaire to show up and kind of bail everybody out, and that's all going to be good. No, they're not going to help us either. Well, what, what we need is a grassroots uh, effort, and that will save us. Well, look at what he says. Um, uh, the slave and the free, no, they're not going to help us either. So every place we would turn to try to find help is not going to provide any help in those days. And what are they going to cry out when those days come? These leaders are supposed to have all these answers. What are they going to cry out? Look at, there's a question in verse 17 that they're going to cry out. Who can stand? Who can stand in these days? Who has any hope in these days? Listen, we're hearing that cry out right now, aren't we? Have, have we ever seen anything like what we're seeing today in our country of the elevation of desperation, the elevation of a despair, of confusion, of cynicism, of, uh, of suicide and, and, uh, and mental health challenges? It's just off the scale what they're crying out is who can stand? Where can we find hope in these times? Who can stand and the answer to that question, who can stand, is found in chapter 7, all right? And chapter 7 is the answer. So let's look at it. Chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. And after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, restraining the four winds of the earth, so that no, one, uh, no wind could blow on the earth or on the sea, or any tree. By the way, when you see the four corners of the earth, don't think about, oh, look at how archaic and how simple-minded these Bible writers are. They still think the earth is flat with four corners. No, 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 don't think about that. Think about north, south, east, west. These are the corners of the earth. In fact, you're gonna see and notice throughout their directional thing. From the east, this happened. From the north, it comes. This is what he's referring to. Look at verse two. Then I saw another angel rising up from the east who had a seal of the living God, and he cried out in a loud voice to the four angels who were allowed to harm the earth and the sea, don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we seal the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the Israelites. So the question is, who can stand? Who can stand when these things happen? Uh, the answer to the question is, short answer is, God's people will stand. 
By the way, it's a really good place for an amen, right? Let's try that one more time. And the answer is God's people will stand. God will make them stand. God will empower them uh, to stand. Listen, no matter what happens, no matter what we have to endure as followers of Jesus Christ, and listen, we have brothers and sisters in Christ right now that are going through it. People right now in prison for their faith in Christ. Right now facing uh, death uh, for their faith in Jesus. This is not something that just now is going to happen one day uh, later. This is happening now. And God's giving them the grace and God will give you the grace um, if that comes in our time. But John sees two groups that are standing. The first one is a group that is sealed. By the way, a seal represents ownership and protection. Right? So God is putting a seal of ownership and protection on this group of people. And if you notice, they're called in verse 3, servants of God. So they're followers of Christ. And uh, they're listed by a Jewish tribe. Now I know some people, they, uh, they like to take this 144,000, just kind of representative of all believers um, however, they are listed by Jewish tribe, and that, I think that means something. Do you agree that that would have to mean something? All right, that's got to mean something, right? And so what I really think is happening here is I believe this is a remnant of Jewish believers in Christ that God will use in the last days to bring about a revival among the Jewish people. I really believe that. When you read uh, Romans 11, just put in the margin of your Bible, Romans 11, do your homework this week and read that chapter. But Romans 11 basically says this, that in the current time, uh, the, the eyes of the Jewish people have been, been closed to the gospel, while the nation's eyes have been open to the gospel. The gospel has been uh, fruitful and has been growing among the nations, while the eyes of the Jewish people, by and large, have been closed uh, to the gospel, but there's going to come a day when God is going to stir up jealousy in the heart of the Jewish people, and they're going to want what you have. They're going to say, see you worship, and they're going to man, I'm, that's our God, and we want to have him, and we want to know him, and God is going to open the eyes of the Jewish people, and there's going to be a revival and awakening among uh, the Jewish people to Jesus Christ and to the gospel. In fact, uh, Zechariah tells us this will happen. Zechariah 12.10 said, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they will mourn for him. You know, I, I believe we're, we're playing a very small part of this right now. I mean, as we are planting churches in Israel, uh, we're a part of this end-time revival that will happen among the Jewish people. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? In fact, I was talking with Pastor Israel just this past week, and I was telling him I was teaching in Revelation uh, 6 and 7. He's like, oh. I mean, he's like fired up, man. He's like, man, let's talk about that. And uh, he said, Craig, you got to understand. He said, the nations, Craig, the nations have turned their back on the gospel. Europe has turned their back on the gospel. America is even turning their back on the gospel. But he said, the gospel is growing in Israel. It's little, but it's growing. Did you know that about 20 years ago, there were just a couple hundred believers, Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. Today, there are over 20,000 that are growing and that we are planting uh, Gospel preaching churches 
uh, to the Jewish people, and there are others that are beginning to pop up across the nation of Israel even today. Uh, the organization One for Israel is putting out videos that are sharing the hope of the gospel. Some of those videos have been seen by over 10 million people. Uh, God is up to something in Israel. And I believe what we're seeing here is, uh, is a group of, of remnant believers in Christ who in these days God will use in a powerful way to put his seal on them. But they're not the only ones. Check this out. Look at verse 9. This is another group. And after this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands. This is a, a picture of victory. This is a picture of, of winning. Look at verse 10. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Well, who are these people? Well, these are people who have uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says, they came out of the great tribulation. Will there be Christians in the tribulation? The answer is yes. There they are right there. Uh, verse 14, uh, they have come out of this great tribulation. Many of them were martyred for their faith because of their trust in Jesus Christ. They stood firm on the earth and now look what they're doing. They're standing with Christ in heaven. And they're standing in worship uh, to Jesus Christ. What a contrast between chapter 6 and chapter 7. Chapter 6, uh, the horsemen are coming in greater intensity. And the people of the earth are like, who can stand? And then you get to chapter 7 and God's people are standing. They're standing victorious. They're standing in faith. They're standing in worship of the Lord Jesus that's who can stand. God will make them stand. So you may ask the question, well, how will I stand during these days? How will I, uh, how should I respond in these days? Well, let me just give you very quickly, just super quick, three things just to jot down. Uh, number one is this, stand in your identity. Stand in your identity. Ephesians 1.13 says this, when you believed, you were marked with a seal the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, um, God has sealed you. If you are in Christ, if you know Christ, if you give your life to Christ, you are sealed by God. And that seal is a promise that when he comes, he's going to redeem you and take you to himself. And so listen, um, you need to stand in your identity I'm a sealed follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, there's nothing that's going to come against me that I'd be afraid of or worried about. Hey, you don't need to be Christians here wringing your hands and afraid and afraid of your own shadow. No, no, no. Hey, we, the righteous are as bold as a lion. And we are sealed. No matter what we face, no matter what we come against, our eternity is once for, for all sealed by Jesus Christ. We belong to him. So we stand in our identity. Another thing we do is we stand in our purpose. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, after he talks about these labor pains, he says this in verse 14, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. In other words, this is the time to get the gospel out. This is the time to be bold in our faith. This is the time to be planting churches 
You know, some people say, well, should we really be about planting churches and, and trying to get the gospel out? Shouldn't we be focusing more here, uh, just around us? No, 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 no. This is the time when we have the opportunity to be bold in our faith, to get the gospel to all nations, and then the end will come. So we're bold in our identity as sealed followers of Jesus. We're bold in our purpose to get the gospel out. And then lastly, we're, we stand in praise right? Just as these believers were standing in heaven, worshiping God. This is what Christians do. When the world is howling, when the trouble is swirling, when chaos is around us, Christians are not huddled under in a hole in the ground. We are standing in worship to our God, just like Paul and Silas. Uh, worshiped in prison, uh, Christians worship in this world, and we worship in hope, and we worship with joy, and we worship knowing that there's a throne in heaven and that Christ is coming. Amen? He's coming. Revelation 6. It's a siren. Do you hear it? It's a warning. And this warning is to give you an opportunity to come to Christ. While there's still chance, while there's still time, this is your opportunity to say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? You may be here today and you are unsure of your spiritual condition. If I were to say, hey, do you know for sure if, if you died, you go to heaven? You go, I don't know. If today Christ were to return, would you be able to stand before him because of your faith in Jesus? Or would you be crying out, who can stand? Listen, the only way that we can stand is because of Jesus' shed blood on the cross and the empty tomb. And that you must receive by faith. So let me ask you, do you know for sure that you're right with God? Well, we are in a season of grace. We're in a season of God's patience. Have you come to faith in Jesus Christ? See, the gospel is clear. We have sinned against God. We deserve judgment. But Jesus came, and he came to show us the Father, but he came to go to a cross. And on the cross, he paid the penalty for your sin and for my sin. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again victorious. He appeared to hundreds of people. He sent to the right hand of the Father, and he is, he is coming again. And he offers now an opportunity for you to turn to him in faith. While the siren is, is blaring, now is the time to run to safety in Christ so I'm going to give you an opportunity right now you say Craig what do I do I'm going to give you an opportunity right now right where you're seated to place your faith in Jesus and so with everybody's head bowed if today you're saying pastor I'm, I'm unsure of where I would spend eternity pastor I want to be right with God I want to know for sure that I'm saved from this wrath to come that I just want you to lift up your hand and I will see your hand. I won't call you out and I will lead you in a prayer to trust Christ right where you're seated. So right now, if God's moving in your heart, the Holy Spirit's moving in your heart, convicting you of your sin, now is the time, now is the time. This is your moment. Uh, lift up your hand, Pastor, pray for me and I will see your hand and I will lead you in a prayer right where you're seated. Lift it up high so I can see it. Pastor, I need, all right, thank you, thank you, all right. Several hands. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I need to know for sure. I need to know for sure. All right. Thank you. 
All right, anybody else? I want to know. All right, you can put your hand down. Just pray the simple prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way. But I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe you rose again from the dead. And so I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Wash me clean. I turn from my sin and I place my faith in you. Lord, thank you for your love for me and the love you've shown me on the cross. Lord, help me to live for you and to honor you with my whole life. Father, I thank you for your word today. Lord, we hear the siren ringing. Lord, help us not to ignore it, but to run to the place of safety. And Lord, I pray that these, these passages, God, would stir up a sense of urgency in our hearts to live with a sense of urgency, to share the gospel with a sense of urgency, to keep our eyes looking at what is happening around us and longing for your coming, Lord, as we approach these last days. Lord, we love you. We worship you. Thank you that we will stand. You will make us stand. And one day we'll stand in your presence and join that multitude in worship of you, Lord Jesus. And we pray this in all God's people said, amen.